Um, so, Isaiah 43:19. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I would say that for me, 2018 was one of the most difficult years of leading kings that I've experienced. It was an incredibly challenging year on many fronts and in some ways took its toll. There were times of real challenge and sadness, stress and difficulty, as well as joy and hope and love and peace. At times, I felt like I was walking in a wilderness. I felt like it was really, really hard. And in one of those times, I was spending time with God one morning. I put that, I, mean, I knew everybody already knew that, this is how I fight my battles, but I put that song on our leadership team WhatsApp on Christmas Eve because it just really has been a big help to me. And while I was spending time with God one morning late last year, I felt very clearly, I had no idea what the verse for the year should be in 2019. I'm usually on that by summer and thinking about it, sharing it with the leadership team in autumn and so on. Nothing, no idea. And then just spending time with God one morning, I really felt clearly this was the verse for us for this year. I felt like this was what God was saying to us, that he's doing a new thing. You'll make a way and you'll bring refreshing. And maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. Maybe you're walking through a time and you think, I'm not sure of the way. Well, God makes a way. You might think, well, I feel like I need refreshing. God gives refreshing. You might feel like I need God to do something new in my life. Well, that's exactly what he can do. Last summer, uh, we had the privilege, Jackie and I, I of spending some time with my daughter, Abby, and her son-in-law, Manu, and Manu's parents over in Yosemite. And, um, and then down speaking at a, a, a discipleship school in Mexico. And we were camping in Yosemite. We were camping up in the, up in the forests. There was no running water. Uh, the toilets were a hole in the ground. We were filtering our water from a stream. It was basic. And, um, but, but cheap. <laughs> Which is great. If you've got to fly to California, you need somewhere cheap to stay when you get there. And, and this was very cheap. And um, I loved it. I've got to say it's one of my favorite places, if not my favorite place in the world. That valley is just an incredible place. Driving around it, walking around it, climbing in it, we saw the effects of the fires that have swept through California. Uh, In fact, it was doubtful at certain points whether we could actually go into the valley because of the fires before we got there. And we saw the effects. That picture doesn't really clearly show it, but that is just... They're all burnt trees. That's ash on the floor. And there's just mile after mile after mile of burnt trees. Smouldering trees still. Smoke coming from the ground in places. And then in other places, beautiful, uh, lush forest. We also saw some absolutely amazing sequoia trees that grow to an enormous height. There's some photos coming up of some sequoias. Maybe show you the next one. This is... That's, the pictures don't give you a, a perspective properly, but that's giving you, next to the Empire State Building, that's how big those trees are. They are enormous. And then the next one, you get a picture of the breadth of it, the next photo. That's Jackie holding the tree up. And <laughs> Why am I showing you those? Because those trees that live 
for at least a thousand years, grow to the height of the Empire State Building, growing groves. They're intertwined. Their roots are intertwined. The roots don't go, they go deep but not exceptionally deep. They go deep enough and then they go across. And they hold each other up for long, long periods of time. And as I was there, I was just thinking there's so many pictures here for us as a church that if we want to stand the test of time, if we want to reach the heights that God has for us, if we want to endure, we can't do it on our own. We need to stand together. We need to be entwined together, interdependent. But then I realized, I went to, this was a place called Mariposa Grove where Jackie stood there. And I read about the Native Americans. The Native Americans who were there before the Europeans and lived in the forests and so on would start fires. Every now and then they would start controlled fires. They would burn some of the forest. And over the last couple of hundred years, we Europeans who went over there, we've stopped them burning the forest. We've stopped it. It's not safe, we thought. And so we've created an environment where there's not often a fire And so when the fire hits, it spreads so rapidly that devastation happens and towns are burnt. Whereas they would burn controlled fires and put them out. And actually, what we're now discovering is they're thinking of reintroducing that method. What we're now discovering is this. The forest needs the fire. For the Sokoas to grow, and you can see the size of the seeds that they grow from in a moment... So remember, the height of the Empire State Building, that's the seed. Tiny. The seeds are in the pine cones. The pine cones fall to the ground. And the fire creates space in the canopy above for light to come through. And the fire activates the seed. If you're going to grow to an immense height, if you're going to grow to where you're meant to be, you'll need other people. And you'll need at times... To pass through the fire. Because it creates a light. That gives life. And there are times in our lives when we feel like we're in the fire of the wilderness. When we feel like it's burning heat. When we feel like everything feels scorched. And we wonder what God's doing. But in that time. He's releasing life. He's creating space. He's making a way. Another photo of the seeds. You get just a picture of the size of them. Tiny. Sometimes when God begins a thing, we think it's got to be enormous. We think it's got to be this great big spectacular. But Jesus doesn't say it works like that in God's kingdom. He says, when I start something, it starts like a mustard seed. Which is one of the smallest of garden plants, uh, seeds, but grows into something big. And you might sense that God's put some seeds in your life, some ideas, some dreams, some thoughts, and you think, well, they're very small at the moment. I can't see how it would happen. I can see where I'd like to be, but what I've got is so tiny, and I feel like it's burnt. That's where the life can come. That's where the new beginning can happen. During last year, Jackie and I believe that God spoke to us through a couple of people saying similar things. And it was this, look for the green shoots. 
in the midst of a wilderness time, in the midst of a dry time, a time where things feel burnt and difficult, what are the green shoots? Some of you may find it hard to see what God's doing, but I want to assure you, God has placed seeds in your life. He wants to refresh you. He wants to bring up green shoots in the wilderness so that the wilderness becomes a beautiful garden. The psalmist prayed this prayer, Restore our fortunes, Lord. I'd written this in my talk just before, just after Christmas, and then Anne sent me these scriptures that were already in my talk a couple of days later. So I felt it was a confirmation. She didn't know what I was talking about. It says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping and carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. The, for, the video for our verse for the year are the streams in the Negev. That's the Negev. That's the desert in Israel. And every now and then, the waters just come down from the mountains because of the rains. And what was a parched, dry, desert land becomes a fast-flowing torrent of water. God sends streams in the desert. God restores. And when he does, he turns the desert into a garden. That's the Negev, after the river's been. Because the seeds are all there in the wilderness. What they need is water. Sometimes they need fire, sometimes they need water. When the water comes, the desert blossoms. God wants to send the water of his spirit upon your life to turn what you feel like a wilderness and a desert into a blossoming garden. The effect of that is incredible. We need him. We can't do this ourselves. We need him. So the next thing I want to talk about in that verse is that we're citizens. We're on a journey. Our series this beginning of this year is called the journey home we're on our journey home i hope you realize that this isn't home we're pilgrims the bible says on a journey to a destination and god makes a way for us to get there in fact one of the earliest names for christians before we were called christians was followers of the way jesus said i am the way the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Followers of the way. Followers of Jesus. He's the way through the wilderness. If we're going to see the Father, we need to follow the way. We're heading somewhere. We get to rely upon Jesus and not ourselves and not our religion. He is the way. And that affects how we get to live. We get to live a different way because of who Jesus is and his life in us. But we're heading somewhere. John Lennox said that uh, the, key is not, the key issue is not where you live, but where you live for. It's not the city that you live in so much as the city that you live for that matters. Where are you living for? Let me explain. We're on the journey home. Where's home? Well, the book of Revelation says our home is this. I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now amongst people and he will dwell with them. There will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's your home. That's home. And we're on a journey to home. The Apostle Paul put it like this. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20 You are citizens of heaven. That's home. And we're on a journey. We're passing through. This is transient. This doesn't last. This can't be relied upon. But we're heading home. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. That's our home. That's the lens through which we live our lives. That sets the norms for our lives. That sets our value system because that's home. That's where we belong. Life is conducted like it is at home. Our dealings with each other like it is at home. Citizens of that city. However, we live here and now with suffering and pain and disappointments and fear and anxiety and sickness and all the troubles that this life brings. But our home is somewhere else. And we get to live by those values, not by these. And if you're trying to live by these values when you're a citizen of a different country, then it creates incredible tension within you because you're living by a different set of values than you were designed for. Your home is in heaven. And there, well there there's love and joy, forgiveness, peace, and hope, and reconciliation. The book of Hebrews, we read about Abraham. It says of him in Hebrews 11, verse 9 to 10, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Hebrews 11, 9 to 10. Abraham lived in the present because he had an eye on the future. Abraham could cope with living where he was in tents in a transient situation because he knew he had a home that had firm foundations. This isn't home. We're passing through. We're pilgrims. We need to invest in home. We need to live like home. He lived as a pilgrim in a land because he knew that he had a citizenship in heaven. He lived by the norms of that city rather than the norms of the world around him. And we too are pilgrim people on our way home and we get to live differently. The Bible's packed full of stories of people like that. You've got the story that we looked at last year of Daniel who lived in Babylon. Babylon in the Bible is a city that's often used as a shorthand term for living under the rule of not God, opposite to God. 
And so the Bible's almost a tale of two cities, Babylon and the New Jerusalem. Yet Daniel lived as a pla- in a place of authority in that city. He didn't withdraw, he didn't build a bunker and store tinned goods and wait for it all to pass away. He engaged with his culture but lived by a different set of values. He took up his position and his responsibility because he lived for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. How could he do that? Again, I found John Lennox very helpful on this. He says of Daniel, he believed that the scriptures were the word of God. This conviction set the secret of how he lived in Babylon without Babylon living in him. If we're going to live as pilgrims on a journey home, making a way in the wilderness, the wilderness towards the promised land, if we're going to live that way, then we need to know that the word of God is our comfort, our guide, our strength. And reading it and absorbing it is good for us. I read the Bible not because it's a religious duty or a spiritual discipline. I read the Bible because it's good for me. I need it. It does me good. And I would encourage you, as a follower of Jesus, let the word of God impact your thinking, impact your heart, impact your mind, because it's the fuel for the journey home. Or at least part of the fuel. We have the spirit, we have the word, we have fellowship, we have worship, we have all sorts of things, but the word of God is crucial. Daniel, in Babylon read the book of Jeremiah the prophet and saw that there was going to be 70 years of exile. And he he realized, oh, it's about 70 years. So he began to pray the word of God. And the people of God then began to move back to Jerusalem. Why? Because Daniel and others took seriously the word of God, believed it, prayed it, and God acted upon it. Do you believe that God speaks to you through the Bible? You see, reading that book is incredible. God can speak to you. And shape your value system. It's a book of what it's like to be home. Our culture tries to disciple us. We have constant messages through the media, through social media, through social interaction, through all kinds of things that are projected upon us that tells us this is how we should think, this is how we should believe, this should be our opinions on certain things. And our culture... And the world tries to disciple us. And it's a constant message. We will be disciples. We will either be disciples of our world or disciples of Jesus. We can choose, but we will be one or the other. And if you find that your value systems and your opinions are more shaped by the culture and what the news is telling you, what Facebook's telling you, what's on Twitter or Instagram, more than what's in the scriptures... I would encourage you, start living for home, not for the wilderness. And if you spend more time watching TV and on Twitter and Instagram and celebrity magazines and then never read the scriptures, it's not a religious competition. But hey, what you filled your mind with is going to impact how you live. So if you know more about whose celebrity is going out with who than the lineage of Jesus, maybe there's some adjustments need to happen. 
so that your thinking is being shaped by the word of God, so that your values are like that of home. We live in a world that has an increasing disregard for God and his things, where God is seen as the servant of humanity, a man and woman, a Lord. I was witnessing to someone recently who was telling me that they believe that all of, one of their theories is all of the intelligence and all the data that's being collected is like us creating God. Wow. God created us. So, seeds, citizens, rivers. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God sends rivers. There's all kinds of pictures of rivers in scripture. There's all types of refreshing in scripture. I love the story of Elijah. Elijah bursts onto the scene in 1 Kings 17. And the introduction to Elijah is just the start of that chapter that just says, Now Elijah. I mean, that's it. That's all we get. Now, Elijah. And Elijah bursts onto the scene and he declares that there'll be no more rain except at his word because he's prayed the promises of the law. He's took the scriptures seriously and said, if a nation goes away from God, then this is what will be the consequences. And he comes as a prophet who's engaged with the word of God and declares to Ahab there'll be no more rain. Anyway, fast forward and he calls Ahab and the prophets of Baal to uh, the mountain, to Mount um, Carmel. In, in 1 Kings 18. And he says that God's going to send the rain. And we're going to have a competition to see who is God. And so the, the prophets of Baal get to build these altars. And they're going to call down fire from heaven. And Elijah says the God that answers by fire, he is God. So the prophets of Baal call down fire for ages. And they cut themselves and they dance and they do all kinds of things for a long time. And Elijah just lets them do it for a long time. Then Elijah on his own rebuilds the altar of God. And he gets some water from the the sea and he pours the water over the sacrifice so that it's soaked. And then he prays. And God sends fire from heaven. Just a simple prayer. And Elijah then prays. And he persists in prayer. And after prayer, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. And then he says to Ahab, you need to hitch up your chariot and get going because there's a sound of a mighty rain coming. And the sky fills with clouds. And the rain comes. And Elijah thought, this is going to be it. This is going to be national revival. This is going to be the point at which who can deny? God's answered fire from heaven, rain from heaven after three years of no rain. Surely Ahab and Jezebel will turn to God, but they don't. Ahab goes to Jezebel and Jezebel threatens Elijah and says, "What? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And it says Elijah, after that, imagine three years, he's seen someone raised from the dead. He's seen miraculous provision. He's seen fire from heaven. He's seen rain when there's been no rain for three years. As he's prayed, and she says, I'm going to kill you. And it says, Elijah, I imagine fueled by disappointment. What else can I do? Goes into the desert, into the wilderness. 
And he says something that I'm sure all of us have said at one point or another. In 1 Kings 19.4 he says, I've had enough. I've had enough. And then he takes it even further. I want to die. Ever felt like you've just had enough? You've lived for God. You've seen God answer your prayers. You've seen breakthroughs. You've seen deliverance. You've seen fire from heaven and rain from heaven. And yet the things you want to see change are just not changing. I've had enough. And he goes and he prays, God, just let me die. And God sends rivers in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. How? He sends an angel to him and he says, Elijah, have something to eat. Elijah, have a rest. And then he says again, Elijah, have something else to eat. Have a rest. And now, set off somewhere. Go on your journey to Horeb, because God's going to speak to you. And he sets off on this journey. He gets to the mount where God tells him to go. And God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, well, I've been very faithful for you. And and he pours out all these complaints. And God says, I'm going to pass by. And there's fire there's wind, there's all kinds of dramatic things, but it says this time, and there where God has moved, Elijah's seen the fire and all that. It says God this time wasn't in that. And Elijah stands on the mountain and God whispers to him in a still, small voice. For some of you today, God just wants to whisper to you in a still, small voice. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah feels like it's all over. He feels like there's nothing more I can do. But God gives him fresh hope. He says, you need to go now. You're going to anoint some more kings. You're going to raise up another prophet, Elisha. And actually, Elisha's going to do twice as many miracles as you. You're going to disciple him, and there's going to be even more rivers in the wilderness. God sends the refreshing in the wilderness to tell us it's not over. We're not home yet. There's still more to be done. There's more I could say on this, and I'm going to cut the short. The, I'm going to cut the short talk, and the talk short as well. Read Ezekiel. It's in your notes. All the pictures of rivers. How the river of God flows from the temple. This picture. It's a prophetic picture. And how it flows to the Dead Sea and brings life. Or how Jesus says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. God wants to give rivers of refreshing. As I close, I'm going to invite Mike to come and lead us in communion. I want you to think about a couple of questions. If I can find them. Where are the green shoots? What's God beginning to spring up in your life? Where are they? Because there will be some. Where are the green shoots of God's activity in your life at the moment? What does it mean for you to live as a citizen of heaven whilst here on the earth? How does that encourage you? How does that challenge you? How is God wanting to refresh you for the journey home? And what's the impact of that going to be on those around you?